Good morning. There has always been one historical constant, the comfort and the power of prayer, the comfort of frequent and quality contact with God. Before instant messaging, email, even before the wonder of the telegram, people of faith kept in touch with the whole world by keeping in touch with God. Knowing that God was hearing the prayers of loved ones far away made those traveling soldiers missionaries and others feel closer in communication with those at home. Take the tradition of the prayer closet, a quiet space that's been set aside for prayer and contemplation, a place that people enter to communicate with and find God. Some people refer to it as their war room. And when the door is closed, the doors of heaven are opened. Adoration, confession, celebration, frustration, thanksgiving, Petition, intercession, praying in the Spirit, all are taking place in the prayer closet. I have had uh, different prayer places um, or war rooms over the years. However, in the mid-1990s, I literally had a closet in my guest room. And because I was a single pastor in a four-room parsonage with three of those rooms entirely empty, um, I actually went into the guest room and I painted a dove in the uh, closet. And I actually put the words, Come Holy Spirit. I had a couple pillows, my Bible, a tablet, pen, my prayer list, and I would enter into my prayer closet, slide the doors, and spend time in conversation with my Father. So where do you regularly spend time with the Father? Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. In Romans, he says, join me in my struggle by praying to God. In Ephesians, he says, be alert and always keep on praying. In Colossians, he says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful. I mean, there are a lot of other passages that we could refer to. That's just a few. But how can those of us who keep high-speed, high-stress, multitasking, dual-career, killer commuting, and child work, spouse-determined schedules possibly work in yet another daily to-do item into the routines of life? We live in Southern California and everyone is stressed out. Our schedules are full. How do we add something like this back into our life? How can we possibly pray ceaselessly when we can't even find time to pick up our dry cleaning or even go to the grocery store? Jesus would regularly pull away from the disciples and the crowds to spend time with his father. He knew that it was only in prayer, only in that intimate communication with his Father, the creator of the universe, that he could find strength and peace in which his soul yearned. And it was where he found nourishment and where he found life. So why is it that we tend to see prayer not as a first course of action, but as the last straw that we grasp in desperation when all of our fix-it plans have fallen apart? Prayer isn't a last resort. Prayer is a first choice. Prayer isn't the least that we can do. It is the most powerful thing that we can do. There's work to do, deadlines to meet, little time to spare. But as we hurry and scurry, make time to pray. In the midst of family chaos, quality time is rare, but make time to pray. Our schedule is very busy, but make time time to pray.
It may seem like our worries are more than we can bear. Slow down and take a breather. Make time to pray. God knows how stressful life is and He wants to ease our cares and lift our burdens. That's why He invites us to come to Him. But make time to pray. Not to check off some to-do list, but to spend time with our Father who longs to be in relationship with us to commune with Him. Please hear this. We are too busy not to pray. I hope you heard that. We are too busy not to pray. Jesus tells us to be persistent in our prayers. He is encouraging a kind of holy boldness, a loud knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. So this is more than a routine or formal praying, more than going through the motions as a daily or weekly task. There is a battle happening. There is a fight with the powers of darkness and those who have seen the light are called to discipline ourselves and struggle in prayer for peace, for reconciliation, for wisdom, for love, for healing, for empowerment, for hope, for our family and our friends and our neighbors and co-workers and our church and our world. And did I say our politics? We know people struggling with addictions and marriages falling apart. People unemployed and underemployed. Those struggling with major, de- major depression and anxiety. Those of us who are struggling with an incredible amount of pain on a daily basis. Those who've lost everything due to environmental events. And the list goes on and on. Our Anglican communion needs prayer. The Archbishop of Canterbury needs prayer. Our Archbishop Foley Beach and our Bishop, Bishop Keith Andrews, and all we all know here that our rector needs prayer. The children and youth of our church need prayer. The elderly and the shut-ins who feel isolated and lonely, who are grieving the loss of their spouses need prayer. There are sick people in our church, those struggling with chemotherapy, those struggling to find hope and purpose, those doubting their faith, those who have walked away from the church and others who've walked away from God. Regardless of our politics, we're told to pray for our president and those who lead us. We're encouraged to pray for those serving as our missionaries, those in the military, those who are pregnant, those who are poor, destitute, and homeless. I encourage you to turn and take your book of common prayer and turn to page 642. And if you look at page 642, There are 125 prayers in the Book of Common Prayer to help us in our praying. There are times in our life and in our prayers that we sometimes run, run out of words. And so why not look at great men and women of the faith who have prayed these prayers for many, 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 many Many years. I mean, if you get lost of words, just go. I mean, sometimes I I open this up and I pray and I weep. I mean, their prayers and uh, are so powerful for people who are struggling with addictions and depression and anxiety and those about to have surgery and those who have walked away from the faith, our children and on and on for rain. And for famines and for natural disasters, for the peace of the world, for civil authorities. I mean, the list goes on and on. I encourage you to take this Book of Common Prayer. And as the bishop says, and as I often have say, the Book of Common Prayer is not intended to sit in the back of a church, church pew. 
It's intended to be in our hands and to be used. And this is a great way to pray and to use in our daily prayer closet or wherever you pray. There are so many things to pray about. Now, don't spend the rest of the sermon looking at this, all right? You know, you can go back and you, <laughs> you can look at this, but there's a lot there that we can use in our prayer. That's why it's important to be disciplined, to be intentional and regular in our prayers. We can't leave it to the impulse of the moment or whether we feel like it because the reality is we are most of the time not going to feel like it. And on the other hand, Because these prayers are urgent and important and complex, there has to be more to prayer than simply discipline and regularity. Those are important. Formal prayers, including official liturgies for church worship and daily office, are vital for spiritual strength, depth, and health. But we also need Holy Spirit-empowered directed prayer. We listen to God's Word and the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we pour ourselves out to God in prayer. It's not an either-or. It's a both-and. We need formal and regular disciplined prayer, and we need prayer at all times, a lifestyle of prayer as the Holy Spirit leads and empowers. And let it be known that the same Holy Spirit that leads and empowers through spontaneous prayers also works and moves through formal and written prayers as well. The idea of God as Father goes right back to the time when Israel was in slavery and and needed rescuing. Israel is my son, my firstborn son, declares God to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron. So let my people go. And from then on, to call on God as father was to invoke the God of the Exodus, the liberating God, the God whose kingdom was coming, bringing bread for the hungry, forgiveness for the sinner, and deliverance from the powers of darkness. The Lord's Prayer, as many call it, is therefore not just a loosely connected string of petitions. It is a prayer for people who are following Jesus on the kingdom journey. So Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem to accomplish the exodus in which the long-awaited kingdom of God would become reality. He had provided bread for the journey, and the breaking of bread was to become an important sign of his presence in the church. And we've spent a a lot talking about that. He was already offering forgiveness and would accomplish it completely in his death and resurrection. And he was already demanding from his followers that they imitate the graciousness of their God in forgiving their enemies, let alone each other. He was waging war against the powers of evil, a war that would reach its decisive battle on the cross of Calvary. This is a prayer which grows out of the mission of Jesus Christ himself. So today we hear a lot about success and desires. Our culture tends to teach us that we need to have every desire or wish fulfilled in order to be happy. This is important. You've heard me say something similar to this before, but please listen. It seems logical to assume, then, that if God wants us to be happy, God's going to give us everything we ask for. Now, let me be clear about this. God is not our vending machine to make us cheerful. We don't just put in our 25 cents and voila, God comes out and spits out whatever we ask. Prayer is not a wish list to God so that we can be happy. As we are in relationship with Almighty God and as we get to know His Word, we are going to um, pray the things that we find in God's Word, the promises that He shares with us in His Word. And so therefore, because and through relationship, we are going to pray in the will of Almighty God. 
In our gospel reading, Jesus invites his disciples and us to enter into that relationship. He's inviting us to surrender to our Father, our intimate and Abba Daddy, who is holy and different, other than special and unique. Now, if you're paying attention, you're going to see that I'm going to be walking right through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus invites us to yield to and come underneath the kingdom of God where God rules and reigns, where His will and desires are done on earth, in our life, in my family, in our church, in our world, like it is in heaven. And by the way, just stopping for a moment, whenever I pray by myself the Lord's Prayer, I will often break it down like this. And I will take the the model that Jesus has given us, and then I will elaborate or amplify with something very similar to this in my prayer. And I get a lot more specific as well. He's inviting us to seek what we all need today. All that is available from heaven to us now so that we can fulfill His mission purposes in life. He's inviting us to ask for more of what will one day be in fullness in the kingdom of God to break in and give us more of that today. We've talked about that before. He's inviting us to change our mind and our way of thinking and living and align ourselves with His will and ways through confessing our sins and repenting with a true desire to have amendment of life. He's inviting us to forgive and release those who've sinned against us so that we don't live with bitterness and resentment in our hearts that debilitates and destroys us. He's inviting us to ask God to lead and direct us not into temptation and to set us free from evil and the evil one so that we can fully and completely apprentice ourselves to the Master, to our King, to our Lord. He tells us how to stay spiritually fresh and alive and plugged in into the power of the Holy Spirit. In our epistle reading from Colossians, Paul is telling us that now we have, since now we've accepted Christ Jesus as our Lord and Master to continue our journey with and follow and live in Him and to let our lives be built on Him, to be well-constructed in Him. He then tells us, to let our faith grow strong in truth as we were taught and let our lives be overflowing with thanksgiving. If we want to know how we can escape the empty philosophies of this world as Paul gets into as he continues this text, we do it by walking and being built in Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. Now I know this is probably an overstatement or... Probably a bad analogy in some regards, but just go with it for a moment. Being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. Unless we're going forward, we're going to fall off. That's not bad, is it? See, and going forward as a Christian means nothing more or nothing less than going forward in Jesus Christ being our King. So we are to be rooted in Him like a tree in good soil. We are to be built up in Him like a solid house going up brick by brick on a firm foundation. That is what we have been taught. And now it is time to live it. At every stage of the Christian experience, what we most deeply need is the King. We always need more of Him. And for His rule and His reign, He and His kingdom is what it is all about. And then at the very end of the passage, we're told, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, you can say with me, well, how does that work? If the Holy Spirit's living... I don't know. Uh, He lives inside of you and He tells you to ask for more of Him. I think that's a good thing, right? To ask Him to to flash flood our entire lives. To fill us up again. I mean, the, the only deep theological sense I can make of this, we must have a leak. 
So therefore, we need to ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. If you don't like that, we'll just, well, that's okay. But um, uh, that's, that's the way to make sense of it. I mean, to be, we need the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to fill us. And Paul tells us that we must have thankfulness overflowing in our life. And then we will know that we're on the right track. In addition, our lives will be attractive and delightful to people outside. These outsiders will look at us in amazement because we're living differently and with integrity and hope and thanksgiving. Instead of living with a negative and cynical attitude, we will live with hope and optimism and thanksgiving. When people look at us, what do they see? When people look at us at All Saints, as I, I've asked many times before, if we disappeared, would anyone on our block know? When they look at us, what do they see in us? Whenever they look at our lives at work, what do they see? We're rooted and built up in Him as we feast on His Word and pray to know and follow His will and purposes and live in community with each other. Christ followers who provide us strength and encouragement and accountability along the journey. There is no such thing as taking breaks from community. Please hear this. We're living in a world today where it's popular to only go to church at least once a month if you're a faithful Christian. I'm just sharing with you, according to the Bible that is, we don't take breaks from church. And I know I'm going on a sabbatical. Okay, what do you do with that? I'll be honest with you. There's not... There's not one church that I can think of that I would rather be worshiping at than All Saints. But I know that I'm not allowed to do that. But I'll be in church, that's a promise. Because going to worship is not optional. It's something very much a part of the Christian life. Because an isolated Christian is a paralyzed Christian. I mean, I can even go on and say that a lot of different other ways, but let's just stop at that one for a moment. We're rooted where we're built up in Him through the spiritual disciplines and practices like prayer and study and communal worship, plus meditation and fasting and simplicity and solitude and submission and confession and guidance and service. There are no ways to be rooted and built up other than through spiritual disciplines. That's how we connect with God, and then it's God who transforms our lives. May we be a praying people. May we be a people whose roots grow deep and are well-constructed and built up in the faith, with thanksgiving in Him. May we be people who just don't study the subject of Christianity, but who live it out. I want you to know how proud I am to be your pastor, to be your rector. I'm excited about our journey together and what lies ahead. And I am struggling because I want to think about what's going to happen in three months, but I know that I can't spend my time away on the sabbatical thinking about those things. I've actually been talked to very firmly by the bishop on what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do, and so I'm going to have to wait on those things. But I am very excited about what is going to take place in and through our community over these next few months when I'm not here and what's going to happen whenever I come back. And then with Father Mike joining us as an associate priest, there's a lot of great things in store for all saints. I will be leading Evensong this coming Wednesday evening, and after that begins my sabbatical. Thank you for recognizing this need and sending me away. I will pray for you. Please pray for us. I exhort you to be a worshiping and praying church, both individually and corporately. This is the heart of discipleship, our forming and our molding into His image. I exhort you to invite others to come along 
with you on this journey and show and teach them how to worship and to pray because that's the very essence of what it means to be on mission, to make disciples. And making disciples is inviting people to come join you in following Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.